Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. Hey, it's Nerdist Podcast number 384. We are uh, entrenched in Comic-Con 2013. Um, if you happen to hear this before July 20th, then uh, stop by our... Pa- and you happen to be at Comic-Con. That'd probably be the other big... That'd be probably the big thing to satisfy uh, in the list. That uh, we're having our nurse panel at the Indigo Ballroom at the Hilton Bayfront next to the Convention Center at 3 p.m. on Saturday. We'll talk about nerdisty things. And then uh, our podcast later that night with uh, Matt Smith is sadly, well, not sadly for us, sadly for you if you don't have a ticket and you're at Comic-Con and you wanted to go, but it is sold out. So thank you if you contributed to that. Uh, But we will be doing the panel earlier, so if you weren't able to make the podcast, then come by the panel and it'll probably feel kind of podcasty. I think most of the time we are kind of podcasty. Go to nurse.com for any of these uh, details about Comic-Con or upcoming shows or stuff or videos or whatever. Uh, I would like to thank Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of the Nurse Podcast. Squarespace is essentially... If you want to build a, a website or a blog uh, and you want it to be super easy, just plug in stuff in, uh, but still f- have it feel individual and unique and special, Squarespace will do that for you guys. And they're constantly improving their platform with new features and new designs and, and even better support. Um, Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it starts at just eight bucks a month. That includes a free domain if you sign up for a year. And every design automatically includes uh, a unique mobile experience that matches the style of your website so that your content's going to look great on every device and you don't have it used to be the old days you had to go program how it was going to fit on every device but thankfully Squarespace uh, the glorious nerds at Squarespace have taken care of that for you you can start a trial right now with no credit card and start building your website when you decide to sign up for Squarespace make sure to use the offer code NERDIST7 it changes every time so it's NERDIST7 you're going to get 10% off and show your support for the NERDIST podcast so I'd like to thank Squarespace for their support Everything you need to create an exceptional website. This episode is our is Kumail. It's our friend Kumail, not Gianni. Our, I mean, it's to even say like, oh, it's our buddy. Like Kumail is in our inner circle of friends. He runs the Wednesday night meltdown show uh, at uh, our nerdist showroom space with Jonah and his wife Emily. Uh, Kumail and Emily also do the Indoor Kids, which is on the Nerdist Network, which is our video game uh, podcast. And he's on Franklin and Bash, but I, and he was also on our uh, our one of our first stand-up cluster. The thing you need to know about Kumail is that uh, he is one of the best comedians working today, and he has a comedy special which is premiering Saturday, July twentieth at midnight uh, Eastern Time, eleven Central on Comedy Central. So 
If you have not seen Camilla, you absolutely should see Camille, um, because uh, he's hilarious and we absolutely adore him. So here is the Nerds Podcast, number 384, with Camille Nanjani. Now entering Nerdist.com. This is really technically indoor kids studio, and we're kind of a guest in your studio. What? But now, isn't this the new Nerdist studio? But we're gonna set up a, sh- a, a different recording facility down there too. Oh, so this is oh, just this will they'll be both, yeah? Because I want to put little cameras in there. That just sounds erotic. <laughs> just so people that it's it's basically like uh like a peep show for hipsters they yeah. basically the, gl- the 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 shade comes up and they just watch a podcast and jerk off oh yeah <laughs> but you've had some jerk offable guests i would say <laughs> yeah certainly yeah yeah i, I would say so yeah um judd apatow yep. neil gaiman's voice oh yeah. great great careers both yeah. of them yeah uh, i haven't heard the neil gaiman one yet it's great he's we barely talk in it because he is so Articulate and has such wonderful information, and his accent is so lovely. It's really just a filibuster that we just <laughs> that most of the time our mouths were just a gabe, just listening to Neil say amazing things. He seems like he's like a not a full step forward in evolution, but you know, like maybe half a step above us. Like he's he, above us. Yeah, he, th- he, there's no there's no question. He seems a little more enlightened, a little nicer than most people, smarter. I would I would tend to agree with all of those things. Seems to have great hair. <laughs> he has also he has great hair. And, and here he has an amazing, like, Adam Stanley-style house that I want to see as well. Oh, really? Yeah. He lives in, like, Minnesota, right? He does, yeah. He lives outside of Minneapolis. Uh, how's Indoor Kids going? Great. Super fun. It's been really, really fun. Did you finish Bioshock yet? Oh, yeah. God damn it. I'm, you haven't? I'm so close. Where are you? What's happening? I am... Keep uh, it vague, I guess. Spoilerly. I have just... Uh, I'm basically on the... I've gotten through Comstock House. Okay. And so I'm... I'm very, cl- I'm very close to the end. That is very close to but, the end. Uh, but I haven't, uh, and I just, I had a conversation with Ken Levine the other day uh, about it, and uh, and because and it, right now it's, you know, it's the game that got me off Skyrim. It's fucking gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, but you won't play it as long as you played. Skyrim. No, 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 because it's basically a linear story. Yeah, and there's not a ton of side, but I know there's DLC coming because I got Skyrim. The you live past. in it. Yeah, there is DLC coming, which will be good. I'm, I'm interested to see what the DLC will be. Will it? Oh, I don't want to. Yeah, uh, we probably, you don't want to yeah. spoil anything. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I was like, <laughs> the day that I got the news that Bethesda was like, we're done with Skyrim. I was like, but, but I'm but, not. But, but wait, <laughs> well, there's more. There's right? there got to be more. How I, can you? I had the character for a year and a half. It's so good. We were in Emily and I went to Big Sur. And we were, it was like these rolling gorgeous mountains and the ocean. And we were like, it looks just like Skyrim <laughs> instead of, you know, the real thing. <laughs> Beautiful. Just like real nature. We were like, it's like that video game that we play in our house. That's how awesome it I is. I do know that I could go back, though, and play um, the, what is it, the Dawn? 
Don Guard. Don Guard. I could play Don Guard again as the humans. Okay. I'm I didn't like playing as the vampires. I played as the vampires. Me too. I didn't really find that uh that, that the vampire lord power was all that useful. And the floating, it didn't quite work exactly as I wanted it to. Trying to get through doorways with these yeah. giant wings. That's so funny that you're this badass vampire lord, but you're having trouble getting through the doorways <laughs> because you're <laughs> your wings giant yeah. wings. And I never even playing as a as a werewolf with the companions didn't really provide much. I was definitely a werewolf, yeah. But you couldn't pick anything up, or uh-uh. you couldn't... No, and picking up is most of that game. But yeah. the, the fighting with the werewolf I liked uh, was more satisfying than fighting as the vampire. Ma- Ma- Matthew's just p- sitting quietly and patiently just because he didn't right play Skyrim. So. It's all right. You don't. If you did, it would absorb a lot of swords. Oh, he, he doesn't like swords and sorcery. I thought shit. there was supposed to be a big MMO coming, like a Skyrim MMO or something. I, I thought. think there's still a, a coming, like an Elder Scrolls MMO. I, I think they're working. I'm on gonna that, be right? mad, and I know you're not gonna be able to do this, but I'm gonna be mad if I can't port the character over that I play that I built up for a year and a half. Yeah, you're not gonna be able. God to. damn it! You're not. Gonna it's be like able level to. 54 or something. Yeah, I know. It's so satisfying to watch those ca- constellations fill in. You yes. know, on your different. It's right, the most man? satisfying. It's the most <laughs> satisfying thing in life. And then when you start going into those that netherworld with the books, and then you can manipulate your. Uh... I didn't play. Th- is that the DLC? Yes. I didn't play that one. You can. You. you can. This is a kind of a spoiler, but you. But you can. If you complete a certain quest quest line, then you you can manipulate uh, your perks. So that you can go in, like, let's say you don't ever use the smithing perk. Yeah. You can just go oh, empty yeah. out your smithing perk numbers and then put them somewhere else. And then it becomes like a fucking bank account, like a bank uh-huh. account system. Yeah, guys, you got to be careful, though, with the smithing perks. I mean... <laughs> a lot of the nerds, I bet, don't like that. Uh, I think a lot of people have problems with uh, RPGs that give them that specific power because right. they think, like, there should be consequences to your actions, which, you know, I, I understand, but that sounds... That comes so late that you've already done... You've had the experience of the game, and right. now it's time to, you know, fix the mistakes you made. <laughs> yeah, get those smithing perks set aside. <laughs> We're smithing. You're going to love it, Matt. Oh, I can't wait to not play that. Why don't you like sword and sorcery sh- stuff? I think it just, uh, from my childhood, I just don't care for it. My sisters were way into it. Uh, was, uh, that's always my favorite stuff. It's always my favorite stuff. Yeah, no, I'm good. No, nope. I, I enjoy a, you know, good good phaser. Maybe a photon torpedo. Yeah. Quantum torpedo if we're going uh, later in. So you want Star space Trek's military life. games. Did you ever play StarCraft? No, no. That doesn't seem like a space military game to me. Well, it's Starcraft not a military game like in the a sense of thing that just absorbs the Korean youth. <laughs> Starcraft is uh <laughs> well, the South Korean youth. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, don't know what the North Korean youth is we doing. We don't know. They could be. We don't they know if be. they have access they to have Starcraft. They have the same haircuts, so we know that. Yeah. We don't know if they have access to Starcraft. We don't know what's going on there. No, I always I always loved the uh I, I loved the resource building games and 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 StarCraft was one of those like it's resource building, and there's aliens. Like I fucking and yeah. I I was I did I purposely did not play the follow up because StarCraft two yeah because I just knew you know I knew what would happen is what happened to me with uh, Skyrim oh you'd, yeah. you'd enjoy it and have a good time yeah but it's not just enjoying it it's just like it's it's all encompassing do you know how many arguments I got in with Chloe because she was like you've got to stop playing Skyrim there are many other games oh yeah and and I don't have enough time to be playing multiple games at yeah. the same time and and I I'm like I know but I just need to 
do all of this one. Yeah. And there's just too much. I, I That's one of the downsides to doing a video game podcast is that you kind of have to keep moving from game to game. Yeah. And Skyrim was one of those games that I literally could have been playing till today. And when I, If I was a kid and I got Skyrim, I would have, I mean, that would have, that and Dark Knight, if I'd seen that movie or played Skyrim, if I was like when I was 10 or 12. I think that would have changed me. As but a you would have. You, but as a ten or twelve year old, you would have finished Skyrim in two weeks. You yeah. know what I mean? Like because you because you would just it would be every minute of every day that you were not in school. If it were summer, that's your fucking summer vacation. But it would be so amazing! What a yes. great summer that would have been. Yeah, that's that would have been the a best summer we ever had. But that was my summers anyway. I just played video games. Everyone would get like darker after summer vacations. I would come out like three shades lighter because <laughs> I was just sitting in front of the TV all day. <laughs> where did you Where did you grow up? Pakistan, Karachi. You did, you did grow up in Karachi. When, yeah. when, when did you move to... So the... I played video games because outside the doors was Karachi. Right. So... <laughs> <laughs> but here, I mean, you know, fucking Hyrule. It's great. The currency is the same. It's still rupees. Yeah. So if I squint, it feels like real life. Nice. What yeah. console did you have? Uh, my first one was the Genesis, mm-hmm. and then I had the Super Nintendo, and then the PlayStation. But it was just Genesis and the Super Nintendo in my formative years. When I, that's what I played all the time. And I was the pretty much the only one among my friends who played video games that much. And, but I did play them all the time. So if this was a Genesis, that was early 90s. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Uh, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, like probably I got it like 88 or 89. Uh, please forgive me if this is a stupid American question, but what, what is the technology uh, curve in Pakistan? Well, for the Genesis, it wasn't that far behind because of like Japan and stuff, and a lot of st- stuff is smuggled. It was called Sega Mega Drive over there, oh, okay. is what it was called. Better so- name. It is a better name. Sega Mega Drive. Sega yeah. Mega Drive. It was awesome. Yeah. Uh, I had one friend who had like a, a Genesis, but with like Mega Drive innards, and I was like, that looks so much better. <laughs> Maybe they didn't want to call it Genesis because that is clearly yeah. a, a biblical reference. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, pretty grandiose for like <laughs> a video game console. That couldn't really do very much, but to me, it was the world. Um, but we got them pretty early, and all the games were bootlegs you got. And you, so you'd get a game, and it had probably gone through like at least five or six different owners. So it was all kind of beat up, and the, the, the sticker was all like coming off. And then you would go and you'd trade a game for like a dollar. Basically, it was like 50 rupees. So you would go to this bazaar, and it was hot, and you just. You know, you knew which stalls to go to, which had the good games. I have to pee so bad. I'll be right back. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> Look how much water he's drank. Sega Mega. I can't, I can't get over it. That's ever happened. Has that never happened? Maybe. No, maybe that has happened at least once, but it's rare. Uh, I know that feeling sometimes. I was driving back from Beverly Hills, and I had to pee when I got in the car. And then it's like a 45-minute drive, in, uh, and I literally was like ro- running through stop signs, and I was rehearsing the conversation I would have with the cops, <laughs> where I was like, I'm a grown man in my 30s, and I have to pee really bad. If you would even stop, like you would just, I, I would imagine if you had to pee bad enough, you would be pursued by cops and just fucking <laughs> drive through the, the front of Meltdown, just yeah. drive through the storefront and run into the bathroom. I'm sorry, I was uh, you can arrest me when I get yeah, out. That would be such a great uh, like high-speed chase story. Yeah. Like a guy just had to pee really bad. And really just, bad. It makes you feel like such a kid. Like I feel like I don't have my life together when I have to pee really bad well, and I can't. Do you find when you're doing this, when you're on the road... I, whether or not I have to, I will pee like five minutes before I go on stage because it fucking sucks to be on stage yeah. and then have to pee, especially in a lot of clubs where when the show is over, 
the bathrooms are full because the show's letting oh, out. Oh yeah, and so you can't you can't really go. It's like a good two hours from yeah. the time you get on stage before you could actually go. I read somewhere that if you have to pee a little bit, that that makes you sharper. It like sharpens you, and you're like smarter, and your decision making is better. So there was a period where I would on purpose not pee. Where did you read this? Sets. Um, it's like a real thing, and I would really feel it because I think a little bit of your adrenaline is going a little bit. Yeah. So you're a little more like heightened. Yeah. Uh, uh, awareness. So if I had to pee, I felt like my sets were a little more. I felt a little more engaged. That's interesting. Yeah. I, but, I can't. I can't do it. Cause but I... yeah. Felt great, guys. Yeah. Sure did. So you were talking about you get beat up games in Karachi, uh, and then you go trade them for like a dollar. Yeah, and they were all like bootleg games, and we would get them early. Like we got Mortal Kombat two before it ever came out, but it had like these bugs in it. Like if you did one move with Melina, the game would freeze. Baraka was always floating like two feet above the ground. Um, Sweet. At all yeah. So so you would get these games like before they came out, but they were like buggy games and stuff. So then, when did you move to the states? I was uh, 18. I moved straight to Iowa for school. Oh, my God. How was your... When did you learn English? Uh, Since I was a kid. Like, I mean, I remember the day I started learning. I was, like, five, and they were teaching us, like, the English word for tiger, and I remember being really angry. Like, I already know how to say this. Why do I need a whole other way (laughs) to say this? (laughs) And so they... uh, And I remember being very upset, but then uh, around grade five, my parents moved me to, like, a British... Uh, system of schooling, which is like O levels, A levels, is what it's called. Um, so probably Neil Gaiman and I went had the same, uh, not a big deal. We had the same <laughs> education, <laughs> not a big deal. Um, so so I started speaking, you know, about five or six, and then from the grade six on, all my education was in English and Urdu, which is our language, was like a separate, its own. It was like learning Spanish here or something. It was like a almost as a second language. But then I watched all these movies growing up. You know, I mean, I loved like. Ghostbusters and all those movies. So I learned a lot of like English from movies. How many comedians come out of Karachi? Well, it's funny. The biggest stand-up comedian in Pakistan right now, I went to like, high school with him. But he's over there. And he hosted the show there that's like the Pakistani version of The Daily Show. Uh-huh. I think it's called The Real Show or something like that. I forget what it's called. But So yeah, we both, but, but that's it. Not that many. It's becoming more common now. Like You know when you go to like small towns and do stand-up? Yeah. And you're finding now there's like... Uh, people are doing stand-up in like these small towns in these little communities. I feel yeah. like stand-up sort of coming up. Uh, people are more engaged with it. Well, the internet and connectivity has like yeah. cause, and podcasts and podcasts because uh, before people were connected in that way, there were not a lot of beacons that would let people know. Oh, this is a thing you can do. Oh yeah. But now because just information is disseminated the way that it is, you can be in a small town in the middle of Nebraska. You know with you know, if you, if you have 2,000 people in your town, you could hear, you know, listen to a podcast and go, oh, that's something I could, I guess I could just do, I could just start that thing. Yeah, well, well, it's so awesome because I remember I was in, I'd never seen stand-up and I was in college when the first time I saw, the first stand-up I saw was Jerry Seinfeld's last HBO special, mm-hmm. I'm telling you for the last time. And I remember being blown away, like, you could just do that and people pay you? Remember the intro for that? Where huh? they, remember yeah, the yeah, the they funeral, used, yeah. And then, uh, Paul Reiser's <laughs> stealing the old jokes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Jay Leno's stealing them. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what, yeah. I've been doing that one for a while. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but but it's crazy. But it's uh, that's what's so awesome to think. Like when I see when I think of like people I really love. Like you know you think of Spielberg or, or Terry Gilliam or Guillermo del Toro. At one point they were just like fans who really liked movies, 
And then they eventually started like doing that thing. And now people are inspired by them, you know. So I think that's sort of a very inspiring and humbling thought to think that everybody was a kid and they just uh, liked something before they started doing it. Yeah, but it is, it's such an interesting trajectory that you've had. Like you're a kid in Pakistan and then you come to the States and now you're a comedian and you're a very successful comedian. Like it's, it's, it's just interesting – this is very much in the same way like you were saying. Oh, I mean, I just being from the South, I'm always fascinated when people actually get out of the South because it's very – it can be a trap. You get very comfortable. Oh, sure. Oh, I mean, I married someone out of high school, had kids you – know, a bunch of my friends oh, that yeah. I went to high school with had kids. Now on their second marriages, second, yeah. second wave of kids. Yeah. And it's just very easy <laughs> and comfortable. Wave. Another wave coming in. Another wave coming in. Another <laughs> <laughs> wave. <laughs> but it is interesting because we go down to North Carolina and this is not for any specific person but a lot of Emily's friends who never left North Carolina are like really leading kind of lives that are to me I, I don't want to judge it but it, it just seems very sad to me the people who never really got out you know what I mean I mean it's not sad if that's what they want but if they wanted more and they didn't or they didn't go for got, it yeah I, when I drove across the country and I stopped at like Bullhead Arizona yeah, which you're is like, like this very small desert town with like a McDonald's and then you're like you're looking and like where do these people work I don't see anything yeah I mean at. we you know like a lot a lot of your friends especially like you know if you see them on Facebook or whatever people we went to high school with and maybe this isn't the same for you but uh, but they all just look like like grown ups. Yeah. And we fucking live, I know. We live like teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I don't. Look at us. We're wearing t shirts. Yeah. Well, I know. I wore a button up. <laughs> well, Matt, Matt. Brooks but, Brothers. But, it, but it's true. The way you look is different. Like, I've seen people who, uh, uh, like in Karachi, but also, you know, like Emily's friends, and they look way older than we do. They look like they have lived a life we have yet to dream about. They've had kids, yeah. and they've lived a life that yeah. we. Yeah. To me, I still feel like such a little kid, you know? I, I don't feel like I've grown up at all. But but for me, I think part of the reason that I was able to do so much in stand-up was that, you know, when you grew up in Pakistan and you sort of have a certain identity prescribed to you, you know, Muslim, religious, whatever it is, and then once that falls away, there's like a huge hole that you are not used to. Really? Yeah. Well, for me, like, uh, growing up there was such a big part of my identity. Uh, I'm going to be sort of vague, but like, you know, Islam... Uh, it's like everything. Everything you do, like you, the way you eat is prescribed by Islam. Taxes are prescribed by Islam. So that's your whole, pretty much your whole life and identity. And that's why I think people really only go into like a handful of professions because it doesn't matter. Your life is Islam. You know, everything else is just details or whatever, like those shirts they used to yeah, have. Yeah, details. Yeah. But um, so I think but once you sort of lose that part of your identity, you really have to find something to fill it with because – uh, that's a big hole, and I really had this uh, identity crisis. It was really, really intense and really, really bad, and it took me a couple of years. And so when I sort of discovered stand-up and started doing it, for me, it was like, all right, so I have to get good at this, uh, and I have to do this a lot. Otherwise, I'm nobody. I'm nothing. What were you doing in school? What was your what did you what did you go to Iowa to do for why why did you go to Iowa and then what did you study? I bet it's gonna be racist. <laughs> no, it wasn't racist. You didn't go for software engineering? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well that's not racist. Eh, it's pretty racist. Computer science. Okay. Well, which there is you a go. more uh, Well, this is I did computer science. But ra- racism is you putting yourself above another race. 
But to say that, well, there's, right. well, he's super smart, so he probably studied something super smart that most American kids wouldn't study. Yeah. It's not really racist. That's Good. Sort of, then, then I will stereotype yeah. the fuck I mean, out I, of I you. guess it's racist in the sense that you're putting him his culture in a box. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But a delightful box full it's of a computer pretty, programmers it's a pretty and good doctors. Box. It's a pretty, it's a well, pretty that, smart box. Well, what sucks is that most of my family is doctors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's true. And... um. It's like that Seinfeld one where he's like, how can it be racist when I say I like them? Yeah. <laughs> he's talking about his... Uh, but uh, so I did computer science and I did philosophy because computer science was the most viable thing I could do. I knew like I, I was going to be a doctor first because everyone was a doctor. And I realized that was one of those things like where you have to want it so bad and you have to be so good at it that only the people who really, really want to do it would be good at it. And I knew that I didn't have that much, like, I didn't have that need to be a doctor. You You're know? a joke doctor. I'm a joke doctor. <laughs> I, I'm so lucky that I was able to find something to be passionate about because having that two years where not having any direction, but being grown up enough to realize that I needed direction, but having... Like, really nothing to pour You're so fucking into. lucky you found... Because even at that point, what are you, 20 years old, 22? Mm -hmm. You're lucky that you found out then. Yeah. Think about people that don't figure it out. My, my big fear was always, I'll figure it out when I'm 60, and then it's too late, you know? Yeah. And then you're like, oh, shit, why didn't I... Isn't it awesome that we figured it out, and you're like... And it's one of those things where you keep doing it and you keep getting better and it's never done you're never like all never right done. i'm the best i will ever be at stand-up no you keep getting better and you keep doing it and you keep finding new ways of doing it and you're always evolving it's like that's what's so awesome about it and then you find other things to do so you know you you did hosting stuff and now you're doing uh, uh podcasts and you're doing uh, uh talking dead and all this different stuff so you find all these other ways to express yourself everything you just described is also hosting stuff <laughs> no well, but, it's, but they're hosting different ways <laughs> it's different ways they're, yeah. they're different. They're definitely hosting a live show is different than hosting a tape show, which is different than hosting yeah. a podcast, which is different than doing stand up. And, yeah. You know, when you're doing stand up, you're talking to a group of people. And when you're hosting, you're really talking to one person. But when yeah. you're podcasting, you're talking to the people at the table. Like, yeah. I know it sounds dumb, but they really are all like a degree off from one another in the way that you do them. And they all help each other. Like, I think you hosting Talking Dad, which is talking about a very serious zombie show, makes you better at stand-up. Like, so for me, like, discovering acting like two or three years ago, uh, I really, really love it, and I think it makes me a better stand-up. And I think becoming a better stand-up makes me a better actor. I think it's all sort of works so well together. It's Are you okay with, or is it is it odd at all? Do you find the business is disrespectful culturally to you, where they just have you come in and read for any Middle Eastern guy, and you're like, well, I'm not really, and they go, yeah, so whatever, you know, you yeah. could do, like, does, does there ever any sense of that? Well, when I was first starting to audition, I clearly, this is true, auditioned for a lot of roles that Aziz had gotten too successful for. <laughs> Seriously, I read like three Azizes, that, and their name, it said in the name, the, you know, the cab driver's name is Aziz, or the 7-Eleven clerk's name is Aziz, so, so in the beginning it was a lot of that, but I've seen it change. And I think uh, people are starting to see brown people uh, outside of the box, you know. So I, I've auditioned for a lot of stuff that, you know, um, in the this new pilot, I play a guy named Spencer. And they just changed the last name. It was supposed to be a white guy. So I think people, it, it's becoming... In the beginning, when you first see, like, the first black person on TV, then you you sort of have... 
them play a certain way or like the first gay person they're playing a certain way but now we've gotten to the point where you, you know there can just be black people on shelves and they're just, just they're just a person same with gay people and I think we're sort of going to approach that with brown people soon and I'm starting to see that happening a little bit yeah because you've been working a ton you you work pretty regularly yeah I've been trying to yeah I love acting so much it's like such a exciting new thing to try and get good at that I've been you know Picking a lot of jobs and doing it a lot and trying to do a lot of different kinds of stuff if I can, if they'll have me, yeah. But I think the other important thing about what you're doing with comedy is that your comedy isn't, you know, it doesn't paint you in a box. Your comedy is just about being a guy. Your comedy is not like, I mean, I've heard you say on yeah. stage, I'm from Pakistan, but it's not like then an hour of jokes about being, you know, yeah. about growing up in Karachi. Like, it's, you're the guy. You, you just, you have a, your point of view that is influenced by yeah. who you are culturally, but it's not... All, that's not what all of your comedy is about. I think for, when I first started stand-up, it was right after 9-11. So there were a lot of like uh, people from the Middle East who were doing stand-up then. Like, a lot of people just showed up, and they were all doing the same kinds of like playing on stereotypes jokes. Like a lot of like, I always thought that all the fucking Middle Eastern comedians should get together and figure out who has the best like cab driver joke, and then that person gets to do that joke. <laughs> who has the best Seven Eleven joke, and then that person gets to do that joke. I did see, yeah, I did see a couple of guys, and, and I, you know, I imagine this is just a, a survival mechanism. But seeing a couple of different guys, you know, around that time come up on stage, and then literally the first thing, hey everyone, I'm not a terrorist, yeah. you know, like they would do that joke, and yeah. then it would sort of, which I guess I don't know, do you do you. Well, I that's what sort of... me at ease because I thought, oh, of obviously, course. yeah, but, he's just but... doing stand-up comedy to keep a low profile. <laughs> but do you feel like that's necessary to sort of disarm the audience a little bit so they're not defensive? Or... I think at that time it might have been. My reaction to it was to not talk about my ethnicity at all. I was a little bit like, "Fuck you!" I'm not going to mention it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the first couple of minutes were always kind of rough. People were like, "Why isn't he talking about you know the huge horn on his head or whatever?" Right. But I think, um, to me, a big step for my own st- development as a stand-up was realizing that I could talk about it, but in a way that was true to me and was personal and wasn't just playing off these stereotypes. You know, it wasn't the... Like, I'll go into a lot of auditions and people will be like, okay, just, you know, do the accent a bit more. Ugh. And they, I have a Pakistani accent. They just want the Apu accent, right. you know? So... But realizing that I could talk about that stuff on my own terms was because that's a big part of who I am that was that I was ignoring on stage. Uh, but being able to bring that in a little bit really, I think, is a truer picture of you know uh, who I am as a person, and then being able to talk about that makes you a. a Do you find that your stand-up is becoming has become more personal in the past couple of years? Yeah, definitely. Because I think with stand-up in the beginning. I sort of had like I was playing a different person on stage because if they don't laugh at you, you're, they're rejecting whatever character you were playing. Sure. When you're yourself on stage, they, and they don't not, like you. They don't like you. <laughs> yeah. So I think being yourself is the hardest thing in stand. It, it was for me. And I, if you look at people like Louis C.K. or whoever the best is at stand up at any time, they're sort of being very personal and vulnerable on stage, which I think is the hardest thing to do. Well, it's hard, but it's also hard to know. I, I mean. It, it, it's not just hard to be yourself on stage. I think it's hard to know yourself uh, because you don't. Most people, most people aren't forced to be introspective in that way because they're having to re-express it to a large group of people. You like what you like. You sort of go through your day, yeah. but you're not really normally very aware of what you know. And then I think that's why it's so hard it, when you first start doing stand-up because you know someone might go, 
oh, well, you know, you grew up liking this thing. Why don't you write about that? And you're like, oh, no, no, that's my family. It's not, it's not interesting to anybody. You know, like you just yeah. don't see it. You don't see yourself as particularly interesting. Yeah, I think like for, uh, the the biggest lesson with writing and everything is that uh, people have you know this is like the more specific you are, the more relatable it is. Even even if it's something like very very up, like if I could tell a story about being from Karachi and you know something very specific, but I think that allows people to sort of latch onto it and relate it to stuff that's happening in their lives um, more than just sort of doing these you know, stereotypes or thinking what people want, trying to tell them what they want to hear. I think you try and do talk about what you want to talk about and people will find their way to you, you know? Yeah. And have you found, I would imagine that doing the podcast, it's because now you guys are, what episode are you on now? You must be well over. What episode are they on, Katie? Uh, 90. I mean, that's like, that's over, really, if you average it out, it's over a hundred hours of just, of just just talking. Yeah. And I really have, for, for I've been playing video games my whole life, and that's a big part of who I am, you know. And I think doing the podcast has also forced me to think about video games in a critical way and why I like them and what I like about them. And and I think it's the same with with stand up and everything. You sort of have to figure out a take on everything, and it makes you more introspective because you have to communicate who you are to people. By the way, uh, you know I adore your wife. Emily is the fucking coolest. I don't know. I mean, th- yeah. she's sm- super smart. It must be kind of. It, was it? Is it? <laughs> was it frightening at all to basically marry a psychologist? Yeah. Well, my dad is a psychiatrist, though. Let's not think about that too much. <laughs> <laughs> but so is Frazier, <laughs> right? It's true. You're just like Frazier. I'm kind of like Frazier. I think. It's not for me because when I was a little kid, I wanted to be a psychologist. So I, I definitely like would try and like think about what people were thinking and shit like that. And I think with Emily being married to a therapist is good in that she can see through my bullshit, but she can also see through her own bullshit. And when we have like, um, you know, when we have arguments, I think it's good to sort of know. All right, I know what I'm doing because I, I'll do stuff that's bad and wrong. But I always know sort of why I'm doing it. And when I don't, she's there to tell me in a very good way, not in like a therapy way. I mean, in a therapy way, but not like in a shitty. She's like, okay, you're upset about this. or you're pouring it into this because you can't do anything about this. And I'm like, that's exactly what I'm doing. But do you worry sometimes that because obviously in a relationship, you there has to be a romantic relationship. And I would imagine sometimes, particularly being a comedian, there might be a slight tendency to lean a little hard because you know, like, oh, she's smarter about this stuff than I am, and I'm just going to lean on her with all my problems because she's a psychologist. Do you find that at all? Um, no. I think what I try... Okay, that's what I would do. Okay. What I try and do is, like, when she tells me that kind of stuff, and she won't tell me right away. She'll, like, tell me later, and I'm like, of course. Um, is sort of try and keep that in my head and process it and not have to lean on her for that again, you know? Try yeah. and try and understand myself because... Um, and I think that helps you, obviously, as a stand-up, too. You realize the things you do because she... You know, one thing, I, I always, like... I never say yes or no. I always put things off. Um, and f- she has helped me realize that that's just fear and I need to sort of make these decisions... Uh, when I need to make decisions. That, that's always my biggest problem is not like committing. And um, she's made me realize that committing is actually very satisfying. I mean, the the any success that we have here at the Nerd Melt space 
is largely due to Emily taking over in the beginning and running it and then pulling together people like Kyle and, you know, like our staff and Zach who does sound yeah. everything and really and really setting it up to succeed because she, you know, she, you and Emily and Jonah ran the Wednesday show here yeah. for a while before we came yeah. in and well, One thing that she's so good at because she's a therapist, that makes her good at a lot of things. And one of those is like being working with other people and knowing what needs to be done because there's a lot of different personalities at work. So if somebody here does something that I think is bad in my life, my immediate reaction is to be like, fuck you. I'm going to yell at you. I'm going to make you feel like shit. And if you yell back at me, I'm just going to yell louder. And that's just how I dealt with things a lot. <laughs> and then she's like, she's like, okay, yes, what they did was wrong and bad. But this is how you get what you want and make them think that they're also getting what they want. Because what they want also is to get along. They don't want to fight. But they're upset because this happened and this happened. So uh, learning that n- – not lashing out, but I still fucking do that. I still will, like, compose an email that I'm like, this is going to make things worse. Here you go. <laughs> send. Never write emotionally. Yeah. When you're, when, you're in a, when you're in an emotional state, write it and don't send it. Well, I see. That's the problem I have. I'm always like, I'm going to write it but not send it. And then it's like, bam, send it. Let's see what happens. Uh, I think – you know what we should do is we should contact Google Labs and have them make – a a program like like a, basically an add-on for Gmail that m- that measures how fast you're typing, <laughs> and if you're typing above a certain level, yeah. then it understands that you might be upset, yeah. And so it basically because there was one that would you could set it uh, to park all of your emails if you emailed between certain hours in the middle of the night yeah because it it basically it knew that you were drunk or it, yeah. it, it might it thought that you might be drunk oh, so yeah. it would park those emails so that you could see the next day and go oh my god i can't believe i almost sent yeah. that out yeah all you need is like a little bit of perspective to not send those but <laughs> but i you know th- that's how i i have this weird like righteous anger when i was a kid i had like a lot of really bad anger issues like till i was probably 14 like really really bad like i would like fly off the handle all the time and now it sort of comes out every now and then and when it does come out it can be pretty you know not great so i think her her approach is so much better at that like if i had to run this theater it would not be around anymore because i would have pissed everyone <laughs> off and they would have pissed me off and it would have been horrible but she's so good at like that's why i think she's such a great producer because she it's not about her. It's about the product and making everyone happy. So you're, you, you're spe- you, when did you shoot your special? Uh, October. It comes out June 22nd. June 22nd. Very excited. It's weird. It's my first like album or special or anything, you know, and it's weird. It's, I put so much pressure on myself to get that first hour out and it has to be perfect. You know, it has to be representative of who I am. And it was, uh, when I was done, it felt so good to be done with it, you know? Yeah. Just have it out there. And was it fun to just be rid of all that material and start over? Yeah, it can be freeing, but also scary. Where then I have like, okay, so I have another date in a month and I have to do an hour and I can't do any of this. So it, it is freeing. For me, doing that, I was so, I, I like hit stand up so hard that I had to take a little bit of a break from it. And that's when I started doing all these acting jobs. Uh, just because I needed to sort of get away from that for a little bit. And now I'm getting excited about stand up again. Well, you guys, on the Wednesday night show, you guys just fuck around for the first 15 minutes of the show. So yeah. you must be able to snag you yeah. know, little things here and there. Yeah, yeah. It really... I think 
what I love about hosting that show is that you can sort of be yourself and just goof around in the beginning. I think Matt's going to do it with me this yeah. week. Yeah. I love doing that show. It's, a, it's really a lot of it's fun. fun. The crowd's so enthusiastic about just being there. It's, it's a very non... And I, I don't mean this in a disparaging way. I think this is a very realistic uh, uh, appraisal of comedy in Los Angeles. It's a very kind of non-LA mentality. Like, LA can be a... a we- I, I, I generally tell people, like, if you have your choice, don't start comedy in Los Angeles because it's a weird... No, it's don't. It's a weird place. Do people, not. People have a weird... You know, there's a lot of performers in the audience and I feel like you know, in in most cases, you can perform places, and people are are watching me like, oh yeah, yeah, I could do that, or like I don't know. It's just like they yeah. don't they don't seem to have fun oh, no. at a show. But at Meltdown, somehow the just the chemistry of the room attracts the right people, and they come and they have fun, yeah. which is what you want. And it's not judgmental. Like the opening, you, you could talk about whatever, and I th- we've talked about some stuff like because we asked the audience for stories. We've asked about some stuff that's really been uh, sort of vulnerable and sad but supportive so we had this one guy in the audience tell us how we were talking about shitty theme park times and he went with his friends who weren't his real friends his mom made him go with him and they got that he was a little kid and they were like we'll see you at the end of the day and we don't want to be fucking seen with you at all all day so it's just like you know he was like 10 or 12 or something and he just hung out at disney world disney uh, land alone all day and so then we had the crowd chant, like, we would go to Disneyland with you, you Aww. know? And it just felt so, it felt so supportive and wonderful to tell this story that was very, very scary. And then, uh, you know, just, it, it was great. And I love those moments when we had What do you those. think about the idea of people who say, well, you're not really doing, co- I mean, like, I'm not, I don't know who this voice is. And, I, and I'm not, there's no one in particular that I'm thinking of. But I feel like, you know, there, there could be a critical... I toward, well, is that are you really doing comedy? Because you're just basically performing for a bunch of your friends. You're just performing for a bunch of like-minded people. And is that what is that? that that's not going on the fucking. You know who is this? I don't know. I what just is that? I just I've feel like really there is that. that sentiment, and people have there. That there, of- there is that sentiment that it's not re- that you're not really doing stand up if you're if you're just performing for well, essentially your friends. Here's not- the difference. I think the way that a lot of club comedy versus a lot of alt comedy, and I hate using these labels. You whatever. think I have a lot more friends than I do? Huh? <laughs> it could be <laughs> I, exactly. But uh, but in other words, they're like it's you know. What I realized about Comedy Death Ray pretty early on is like, oh, this is a theme show. Yeah. This is a comedy nerd themed show because everyone is of a similar ilk. It's not like, you know, just walking into the comedy store on a Friday night and you get this weird, you know, patchwork of a bunch of different people that you have to like wrangle together. No. I mean, I guess it's the difference between like having to break a horse in a rodeo versus. Just being able to ride a people-friendly horse. I think I think there's benefit to that, but I think the different mentality is a lot of club comedians, and again, um, just very broad strokes. The way they talk about stand-up can be very aggressive. It's almost like you versus the audience. Right, I really right, beat right, him up. Right. I killed. You know, like I slayed. <laughs> I never thought about it's that. It's very aggressive. Whereas with a lot of alt comedians, at least the way I try and approach it, it's sort of we're all in it together, and you're having more of a conversation rather than me like punching them till they laugh. You know, right? And though, you know the, the Bill Burr set uh, Opie and Anthony show. That's a really great show to watch. But you know when he they hate him and then he wins him over. Oh, but when he's at that yeah, the out, outdoors. It's, it's yeah. an amazing set and it's very inspiring to watch. But that's definitely like I'm going to beat you up until you like me, kind of thing. That is a that is a that is a masterclass and not. I mean, oh yeah, the <laughs> the line that he's able to walk 
to not get murdered yeah. and to basically tell them they're fucking idiots and yeah. have them love him for doing it. Exactly. And to not take shit from a very drunk uh, of thousands of people. That's 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 a fucking It's an amazing f- set. It's an amazing set, but it's very different from like an alt approach to stand up, which is alt would be, you know, at least here at Meltdown, it's very weird. It's like, "Here I told you something that's embarrassing about myself. Now you do that." Right. Or like trying to relate <laughs> to them rather than, you know, making fun of them until they love you. Right. And I think uh that's why a lot of like you know, I know I've heard Bill Burr talk about, and I think he's an amazing comedian. Talk about how he hates like alt stand up because of exactly that. Like you're not fighting the audience; these people already love you. Well, you know what? That's fine. We're still doing something. We get to do something. I think that is riskier on stage than if the than if you had to win over the audience each time. You know, yeah. like you really get to know someone. Like my wife, uh, my wife. I'm gonna know her <laughs> more after two years when she's already loves me, and we get to find out more about each other. Right. And it's more of an intimate thing. Same with stand up. If they already like you, you're able to do things that you wouldn't be able to do if you had to win them over every single time. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, yeah. Bill's one of my favorite comics. I think I think Bill, I think he's probably one of the top three comics. Yeah, he's amazing. Working working yeah. today, yeah. And, and and it is fa- it is incredible to watch someone um, throw out a premise that the audience does not want to support. Yeah, and then he is able to essentially force them to laugh against their will. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, is a pretty. Uh... He did this thing about how he hates Steve Jobs. Did you hear that? Yeah, yes. he did it on Conan. He did it on Conan, and, and it, it fucking was destroyed. A- amazing. In the beginning, people are like, "Man, this guy died of cancer." He's like our hero. What are you doing? And by the end, you're laughing because he's so funny. Yeah, he's just really funny. It's, it's, it's almost like a weird kind of Marquis de Sade thing to it, where it's like. I'm going to torture you with pleasure. Yeah. And you're going to be against it at first, but then, you know, then you're going to beg for it. Like, yeah. This is kind of weird. And that's not my, I can't, I don't do no. that. I'm a very like, hey, let's all, you know, like, yeah. I, you know, we're all fucking hanging out, you know, we're having fun. Yeah. I get into that mode sometimes where like Emily yells at me where I'll like get stuck on one thing and I'll just push an audience to see how far I can push him. Like while I was preparing for my stand-up set the night before, I did a, it, this was in Austin, I did a set at Cap City, which is a great club yeah and i was having a really good set i was just doing a 10 minute short set to like just kind of you know be loose and then at one point i said one sentence and it didn't really get a big laugh and so i swear i got into this thing i just said that sentence over and over like 25 to 30 times (laughs) just to see how far i could push these people and bring them back but it's not like again it's not a thing of i wasn't actively trying to do that it's just some some part of me was like, I'm going to say this and say this and say this, kind of because a little bit I was so like, I'd been doing so much stand-up that I wanted to like do something different, you know? Sure. But it kind of ruined that set. Like I wasn't really able to get him back. So the last set I had before my special started off great. And then I kind of like alienated everyone. And my agent was there and he was like, what the, f- what the fuck was that? Well, you know, but yeah, then you're fucking around. It's not like you're going to do that on the, s- no. the special. No, no, not at all. But it, I, think, I think in a way... I'll tell you what I think was actually smart about it was that uh, it got you outside of being uh, yeah. having doing a set by rote. Yeah, you, where where it just got it just 
kind of kicked you out of that so you don't go into robot mode yeah. and then this joke it just got you thinking about your stuff and loosened up your brain I think it's actually I think your brain was actually helping you and you didn't realize I it I think so and I think because I've been doing that set so much that I was sort of getting into that road thing and I think it's the same thing with stand up as it is with acting or as it is with hosting it's all about like being in the moment and reacting that's the hardest thing but once you're there it feels so good and that's why I think they all sort of feed into each other because it's all Everything we do is about being in the moment, you know, and reacting. And, I mean, uh, I've never taken any acting classes or anything, but that's, like, the hardest thing for me. Well, that's the thing that I try and do whenever I do that is just be in the moment and react as if a normal person would. Have you performed in Pakistan ever? No. (laughs) I haven't been back since I moved here. Oh, you you haven't? Are you allowed? Are you allowed back? I'm allowed back. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I really want to go back. There's certain things I've said on stage that if they knew about him, would be real bad for me because sacrilege is punishable by death. Yeah. Like, that's the law. You know how we have ch- separation of church and state here? That is not a concept over there right. at all. So there's certain things I've said that uh, I've never said anything against Islam, but I've said certain things that if you wanted to, you could really fuck me, you know? So so, so a little bit, I'm a little bit scared of that. Do you, uh, have you ever performed... Uh have you ever performed in your first language? No, I never have. I've never performed in Urdu. It's, in, could it's you, weird. Could you? Would the, would the rhythms work? Would the words mean the same? I don't know. I can certainly feel when I'm speaking in Urdu, my brain goes into a different gear. Like, I think there's studies that say that people who have, uh, you know, different uh, grammatical structures sort of lend, make people uh, think about problems and everything differently. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, honestly, if I'm super funny, if I would be funny in Urdu. Uh, because the grammatical structure is like very different, um, and uh, I don't know. Like, I could if I'm speaking to my parents in Urdu, and then I turn to Emily to start talking. It certainly takes me a second to like, like it's a little jarring the switch. Yeah. So I don't know if I would be as fluid doing stand up in Urdu. Was the uh, was the Benjamin Button bit? That was your bit, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could you do that in in Urdu? Um, see, I don't know. I don't know. I know that the stand-up that I was talking about who's big in Pakistan is also doing it in English. Oh, he is? Yeah. I haven't heard a lot of, like, stand-up in Urdu. But if I went back, I would perform in English. I don't think I'd try and perform it. Like, I know Eddie Izzard, like, performs in French and stuff. I'm like, that's, (laughs) like, what are you doing? (laughs) Do you think you've, like, figured out American, like, English stand-up? By the way, I love Eddie Izzard, but it, it seems like such a unnecessary challenge <laughs> I mean I I've thought many times would I be able to translate this to like the only the only language that I even kind of speak is Italian and I think would I be able to translate this into Italian and then I think no because there are so many there's so many cultural subtleties that yeah. you wouldn't, it's not just a question of you know like turning on Google Translate and then okay now the words are yeah. in this language like there's there are nuances and there are there are ways that you would communicate and yeah. there are regional ways that you communicate and it's I don't think I'd... and and I think what really helped me with that was watching all the movies like growing up watching movies you, you know you you can learn English in a classroom but it's when you really figure out how people talk and the the subtleties you know like the way you like all right good night or good night like you know that kind of stuff yeah tone and stuff can be really um it's very important to what we do well especially o- languages that are much older i wish you'd watch like movies from the 40s just so you start <laughs> 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 well, <laughs> well, 
fine peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stool. <laughs> you know, you you would you when I traveled around Italy a handful of years ago, a lot of the Italian that I remembered did start to come back. Yeah, but every region you go to because they just like their their language evolution, their languages had longer time to evolve. Oh. So regionally, I would go one place. And I would say something, and they would go, oh, no, 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 you don't say that that way here. We would say this way. Huh. And so the language would sort of change from region to region when you're just communicating with locals there. And I feel like, you know, in America, it's really, it's not so much about saying things in a certain way. It's just accents. You know, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, well, I mean, they say y'all, but, you know, if you're in the South. But, the, but, but in general... You know, it's all pretty much the same. And I think it's spreading, I mean, because of internet and stuff. I think, unfortunately, a lot of those, like, differences in the way people think about stuff uh, is sort of becoming more homogenized, you know? I mean, they're watching more uh, Hollywood movies in Italy, and they're watching more TV shows. And I, and I think, like, I saw the difference when I hear about Pakistan, how much more westernized it's gotten, even in the last, you know, 14, 15 years, however long I've been here. Um, yeah, we left them that broken helicopter. What, what, what? We left them that broken helicopter. What is this? When we, when we got Osama. Oh, we just yeah. Like, here you, here go. you go. Figure this out. It's like an alien craft that's landed <laughs> and they're trying to reverse engineer. It's uh, like the Terminator arm yeah. that they have at Cyberdyne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think, I think that's changing. I remember when I was there and MTV showed up and that like changed a lot of stuff. Just having MTV there and Beavis and Butthead. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. It's a very strong cultural force. That, and well, Beavis and Butthead. I mean, to go from zero to Beavis and Butthead, it's a lot. It is a lot. Well, going from wherever you guys were to Beavis and Butthead was a it lot was a too. Lot. Yeah, it really was. It really was. It's such an amazing show, though. I I love that show so much. Well, all those Mike Judge cartoons. We used to go to the Spike and Mike Sick and Twisted Festivals of Animation, which is really the only place you could see, kind of like. Uh, gross out adult humor in, yeah. in animation in yeah. the 80s and 90s. Like, you would have to go to a fucking film festival that came through like once a year. <laughs> yeah. And then go, oh my God, this is out there. And, you know, there, would no, there was no other channel other than MTV who would dare to put, you know, when Liquid Television came on, it was, it was basically like, um, I don't know if this is the right word, but it was almost like the gentrification of that bad neighborhood yeah. of of dirty animation, yeah. you know? I remember watching Beavis and Butthead in Pakistan and being like, somewhere in the world, people are making this, you know? Yeah. This is happening. And it was so outside of anything I'd ever seen. And it was really, really funny, but I couldn't really explain why I was laughing so much. And it is cool, all that sort of... Uh, uh, stuff that's sort of on the, the sidelines of popular culture is now becoming more and more mainstream because of the internet. Oh, and that access. is interesting to think about Beavis and Butthead in another country because, I mean, obviously, I think there are certain things about the show that just kind of transcend culture. It's like, oh, they're farts and there's jerk off humor and they're making fun of Everyone stuff. Everyone loves and, farts and jerk off. Yeah, yeah. But, but also, the other thing about American culture is that those two kids were. Just like the fucking tip, I think in the eighties we called them. I would say they were like Hesher kids, you know, like uh-huh. they fucking liked metal, yeah, and they were burners, and they, you know, they were just sort of dipshits, and yeah. everyone, everyone had like a <laughs> cluster of those kids in their school, like one or two of them, yeah. And so, you know, there was also a certain familiarity that we had with that, but uh, but in other cultures, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know if there were 
Yeah, I don't know if there were like African Heshers, like in Kenya, there were Hesh. You know, like yeah. there probably were not. They're, 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 those did not exist. So yeah, no, I didn't know kids like that, but I just thought it was funny that there were these dipshits who did think like this. <laughs> and I, I loved them because I was like, oh, they're just doing what they want to do. You know, they're yeah. having a good time. I like that. They were having a great time. Chris just single-handedly resurrected dipshit as a term people <laughs> will th- be using. Do, but, no, do people not say dipshit? Not anymore. I, I think it's a I great word to forever. Beavis and Butthead are dipshits. Yeah. It's totally right. <laughs> That's the best way to describe those guys. <laughs> Let's break that down. What is a dipshit? Um, I don't know. I think it's just... It's, uh, it's, it's not onomatopoetic. It's mm-hmm. just that it sounds... It just sounds like a thing. Like, ah, uh, look at that, you know, lame wad. Like, and there's a difference like a... between a dipshit and a dick and a douchebag. Yeah. It yeah. might be hard to explain, but dipshit, I think, a little like, bit. I want the etymology of dipshit. Like, where did that come from? Like, who? Yeah, dipshit. You're shit, but let's dip it in something. And then. You're like dipped in shit. Yeah. Okay. I think right. it's just the vowel sound. I think it's just the vowel sound. It of... feels great, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I really think it's just the vowel sound of like dipshit. Like it just, it you just feels fucking dipshit. I don't, I don't think there's, I don't think you could be, I don't think you'd be like, uh, well, uh, in the, you know, in the early 1900s, the uh, the shits that you would get from having diphtheria. <laughs> you know, like, like I don't, I don't think it was. I, I, I don't think there's any way to track it that way. I think it's just, it's just people playing with words and just words that sound dumb. It you sounded know? great. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, I just, yeah. No, uh, no one's ever said like "Hey, twat wad," but it's just like the words together just sound like it sound like it sounds insulting, and it's it just sounds like a way to classify someone. I like it. Well, twat wad, I get, but like dipshit, I don't. <laughs> you don't, don't get, get your don't get your twat in a wad. Like that sounds like a Chicago thing to say. <laughs> yeah, it really does. You were you're a Chicago comic guy. Mm-hmm, right? That's where I started. Yeah, with like Kinane almost everyone. And... <laughs> yeah, uh, TJ and Pete Holmes and Hannibal. TJ and... Miller. Yeah, that guy. You started with T.J. Miller. <laughs> That's pretty good, yeah. I've been working on it. <laughs> um, yeah, all those guys. It's crazy how we all did start out together. We used to do these open mics, and so many of that crew are like doing really, really well now. It's Kanane, Bronger, T.J., Hannibal, Pete. Um, it's, I mean, a ton of people. I mean, it's and, and almost like... What's what's interesting, and some maybe someday someone will do a case study on it that no one will give a fuck about. But just the idea that you all essentially probably helped each other in ways that you didn't even realize, yeah. because as a community, yeah, you know, you're elevated by one guy who was elevated by oh, another yeah. guy who was elevated by another guy, and you're all kind of watching each other and playing off each other's energies without realizing it, and then it just something magical about you know your class, whatever that class. Well, we're the class of two thousand one yeah. or whatever. Whatever something magical about that class has yielded so many um, incredible, successful comics. I think at that point there was such like when we were all doing stand up together, we there was such like a, an emphasis on originality, even more than being funny. Like we, if there was anything that was even slightly hacky, they would make fun of you. So right from the very beginning, it was never about really getting laughs. It was about being like original and being yourself. And, um, you know, when I first saw TJ, he was like bombing on stage. And I remember being like <laughs> jealous of this guy and how fucking amazing he was. Did he, he kind of love that, though? I think so. But I think TJ also has that thing where he really, really does want the people to laugh. He wants to be good at it, you 
you know, and but in his own way. So TJ can do like the weirdest shit on stage. But ultimately, I do think he wants them to like him. Because uh, he, cause he seems to like to do the stuff where he just, he almost fucks with the audience yeah. to a degree. Yeah, he really which does. Is diff- which is a different approach, I think, than there's a different approach between just like wanting to affect the audience by fucking with them versus attacking them versus like trying to get them on your side versus just yeah i think tj is also so fearless just as a person like he'll do like crazy shit and sometimes it backfires but i think that sort of x factor of like genuinely being so fearless really really helps him in his stand-up and everything he does i mean he makes really strong choices i think and i think that you know really helps him and i i do uh i i I was i got really because indoor kids was one of the first podcasts that we started producing yeah um, and I remember, like, I, it was within five months where you guys were doing the show, and I got so excited because you sent me a text, and you're like, I can't believe how many people showed up oh, with, like, yeah. video game t-shirts, and, yeah. you know. It's great. Whenever I do shows outside of New York uh, or L.A., it's a lot of indoor kids people come, and you can see all these video game t-shirts, uh, and you can be like, all right, that's my person, that's my person, that's my person. <laughs> it's so cool. Like, I'm sure it's so true for you guys. You guys get to perform in front of audiences that are so your audiences that you can talk about whatever you want you know i still have those people who are like the people who come from franklin and bash are usually a slightly different kind of person than the people who come from uh indoor kids and you know so uh but you 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 guys have so like figured out your audience so well but that's but what's what's interesting about comedy now is that it's i mean i was noticing this like for so long when you start doing different things your audience is basically just um you're piecing together like I would notice. Oh yeah, you know some people used to come because of Attack of the Show. Yeah, and then you'd have a small percentage of people that would come because I was doing Chelsea lately, and then a small percentage of people yeah. that would come because I was doing Corolla's show every once in a while, and so it was like you're pulling together, but they were all completely different types. Yeah, and the, but then some of them like so someone who watches. I would get these sort of ladies in their mid to late 40s because of Franklin and Bash because that's sort of the the audience of that <laughs> show. But then even if like 10% of them really liked my stand up, that was 10% that I would have never reached, right. you know. And they're not all going to think I'm hilarious, but some of them are, hopefully. So for me there's no I have known like one thing that people come from. Some people come from Portlandia, some people come from Franklin and Bash, some people come from the podcast, uh, some people come from Conan. So it's like a lot of different little things that people come from but i really would love to have that one thing you know where like all right this is the guy from that thing and if you like this thing we're gonna like him you know right but i i don't have that uh like one big thing that people come from you will and then when you get it you might be angry about it you know like you know it could be a little bit of a Chappelle thing where it's like everyone knows him from the Chappelle show and then they're shouting you know like you know, you'll be on a show. It's sort of the double-edged. You, you'll be on a show, and oh, then everyone comes because of that show. Oh yeah. But then also, you're just that show to them, and they're not. They're almost weirdly not interested in anything that doesn't yes, involve Chris, that show. Don't that you talk, talk about. about Jonah when he's not here. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the thing. Like Patton Oswalt talks about how he was on uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, which was a huge no, show. It was on uh, King of Queens. King of Queens. Sorry, right. was it King Same of Queens? Diff. They were related. Like they, they they were as a spinoff. Oh yeah. So it was like. 
you know, 10, 12 million people would watch it. But he would do stand-up and sell out, but it was all people who knew him in this one context. And, and that they, could be tough. it didn't go well in a lot of those cases. I, I mean, think, it went well enough. But I know. It is a double-edged sword because you obviously want, you know, 20 million people to watch you on TV and like you. But then you realize – I'm realizing that with Twitter. Like when you have people – when you get – uh, past a certain number of followers not a it used to be in the beginning whatever i said like-minded people they would agree or if they didn't agree they would like have a reasonable discussion with you about it now i have a lot of people who are like you're a fucking idiot or yeah. who'll get like racist to me just because when your audience gets a little bit bigger you get a lot of people who are sort of not it's so it's so un- it's so silly. i'm mo- sure it's so <laughs> fucking real for you well it doesn't it it used to bother me a lot more than it does and and i think you know in the last few months i kind of just I sort of just let it go because yeah. otherwise it's just a survival mechanism if I really – and then – The bigger the family gets, the more likely you are to have a dipshit nephew. But <laughs> Dipshit. It's fucking but, true. But then also, um, you know, number one, you just don't have the mental energy to really combat it and it's, you're not going to fix all the holes, you know. And then also, then I, then I start to feel like an asshole for being too precious about myself. Like, yeah. Oh, am I really taking myself that seriously that some fucking sixteen-year-old kid can't tell me that I'm a cunt and I I can't handle it? Like, well, what the fuck? Well, that's a big thing. I was like, I got into a fight with some guy uh, uh, like a month ago or something, and then I realized he was fourteen. And I was yeah. like, what am I fucking doing yeah. with my life? This is not what. It's just a fourteen-year-old kid who wants to feel powerful. Some people, you know, some I I just I kind of just got comfortable with like, yeah, some people are gonna like me, some people are not gonna like me. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the people that don't like me now were the same exact type of people that didn't like me when I was in grade school <laughs> yeah, yeah. like that that there's something about my specific personality type and you know listen being um being a like a snarky white guy who gets really excited about everything is going to be really annoying to some people yeah and now they just have the means to tell you I know that's what it is people would always hate always have hated you a uh, certain amount of people would have always hated me, but now they can get to me and tell me that they hate <laughs> and the, me. Like in the, you know, in the 80s, it would have been, we've gotten a lot of fan mail. Some of yeah. it's going to be negative. <laughs> and then you actually would have had to have like really torn it yeah. open and read each page. You but know? you also would just get the people who hate you the most because they took the time to write it. With Twitter, even if they kind of hate you, they'll just write you. Well, you then also with Twitter, it's just like with emailing emotionally. Yeah, you could just be pissed off about something in a moment, and then I see your face, and I'm like, I'm just going to transfer that anger. And then later on, you if you were confronted with, you'd forget about it normally. But if you're confronted with it, you might go, Oh yeah, I don't, I don't even feel, I don't fucking know. Yeah, you know, you don't even think about it again. Oh yeah, you just like have a moment and you say something, and then you're like, oh. I've certainly had that when someone said something shitty to me, and I sort of had a little bit of back and forth, and it was like, we're fine right and they're like yeah i'm sorry I just because because we're narcissistic we think oh well that person must be carrying that around all the time you're like no no they're thinking about themselves yeah you, they're not you're not that important to them it's the same thing that emily was saying sometimes i would do if i was pissed off about one thing i would wouldn't do anything about it and then i would put it into something else that's what a lot of the twitter people are doing of course you know? of course it's there there's basically you know in in the same idea that energy cannot be created or destroyed emotional energy is not created or destroyed it's transferred yeah and it gets transferred to a lot of different areas i think excitement gets transferred to disappointment i think anger gets tra- you know fear gets transferred into anger which then gets to, which spreads. but then you distribute it to like other people yeah, yeah and like, then and then that spreads into their like oh, yeah. it doesn't you know there might be a but it go it goes somewhere yeah it doesn't just 
go I, into the ether and disappear. I think the good thing is that you really can take almost any negative emotion and do something positive with it. You know, so if you're like self-conscious or there's anger, you can translate that into making like good work or positive work. Like a lot of like really good art has come from anger or from disappointment or from uh, uh, self-consciousness. And I think that's sort of what, you know, we try and do is like take positive and negative emotions and uh, do something like good and artistic. I stopped blocking people who were saying shitty things to me. And now I I really only block people that say – this is very specific and no one asked, but – I, now I only block people who say shitty things about people I care about. That's what we should call the podcast. This is very specific and no one asks. No one asks. <laughs> no one asks. <laughs> ever. No one asks, ever. But I, I only block people who say shitty things about people I care about. Okay. Because that I can't – I get madder about that. Yeah. Because that, that puts me in a mode of like I have to – I want to protect my friends. Yeah. And so I really feel like, okay, the fucking gloves are off. Now I wanna, yeah. So I only block those people. But I also feel like, you know, because uh, for a while I was creating this – comfort bubble where it's like oh the only people that i see mentions say really nice things about me and then you sure. go that's kind of dangerous like oh, you still yeah. need a little bit of you still need an element of a check and a balance like it's comfortable to just surround yourself by people saying nice things but at the same time you know you shouldn't just that being said i have had people who have offered to like hey i'll be and multiple people have said like that I don't know will go, hey, I'll be the person that keeps it real for you. And like, you know, everyone everyone thinks they're that person, uh, yeah. and you don't have to do that. I get plenty of that. Yeah, please don't. I get plenty. Every, like, so many people think, oh, people just kiss your ass, but I'm going to be the one who gives it to you real. And you're yeah, like, like, okay, multiply you by that. I don't need I don't need that many yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To... In fact, if you're, yeah, just be nice. Yeah, just, just be nice. Just be nice. I got a glimpse of, like, a huge, like, I did a Talking Dead. Yeah. And, uh. Uh, that's a huge audience. I had no idea how big that audience is. It's pretty. It's it's, it's, it's bat- crazy. It's incredible to me. But that was so obviously there was a lot of people who had no idea who I was or were familiar with it. But even with that, the overwhelming uh, majority of it was very very positive. But some of the negative things were definitely uh, people who were like, "Hey, talk seriously about the show. Uh, don't make jokes all the time." But that's what I felt like my role on that was. I love the show. And um, the other guests were talking very seriously about it. And I also was offering my opinions, but in like a funny way. But that sort of pissed people off. I thought you did a great job. I I think no 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 matter what you do, people are going to tell you uh – what you know what they basically order you around yeah and i think they're just not really thinking and they think that you're not going to see it so they'll just go do that or don't do that And you're like i'm not your marionette i am who i am i'm only going to be who i'm going to be and if you don't like it then don't please don't follow me i you know you're we're we're all avoidable yeah we're very very avoidable (laughs) i'm like the most avoidable person in entertainment that was like uh hey i'm here joel Joel McHale used to have a joke about uh tyra banks being afraid of dolphins he was like they're so easy to avoid is she really afraid of dolphins terrified that seems like such a and I don't know Tyra Banks at all. It seems like such a, a dis- decision she made. Like, oh, this is a weird thing to be afraid I of. I only knew that because of his set. Okay. But he was like, that's like being afraid of a bike race. It's yeah. easy to avoid yeah. that. You never have to see one. Yeah, you never, never have to put yourself <laughs> in that situation. Yeah. yeah. It's not gluten where you have to like think about it <laughs> I know. all the time. And you might get it. Like, all yeah. of a sudden you might be at a restaurant and someone might bring you a dolphin. Ah, dolphin! God damn it! Yeah, fuck. Could it be anything else? <laughs> yeah. This was supposed to be dolphin free. 
Yeah. Why did it what have to be dolphins? What restaurant are you going to? Flippers. Oh, of course. <laughs> I should have known. Yeah. Is that a spinoff of uh, Flappers? Flappers, yeah. yeah. It's a comedy club only for dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> they are apparently vicious, and they, like, eat their young and, like, rape and stuff. Oh, they're brutal. Yeah, they're pretty brutal. Like, they're all friendly when you see them at SeaWorld, and then occasionally you see that story of, like, someone was attacked, and then they carried that person to the shore, you know? Yeah. But in general, they're fucking, like... They're pretty, they kill sharks. They're animals. They're, they fucking kill sharks. How did they kill sharks? They've rammed them with their bottlenoses. It's like they fucking rammed them in the, in, the, in the sides with their beaks. Oh, man. And, you know, they also have this really, um, uh, they have this really uh, uh, high-tech sonar, and they just fucking, they're like, they're like little military vehicles. <laughs> and they're just solid muscle. Yeah. They're just fucking solid muscle. They're, they're pretty, you know. And they are smart. Like I was watching this documentary, and what they to get their fish. Uh, this it's, Darwin. And it's, and it's is that not, what they did? Darwin. <laughs> and it's not a species. It's just this one group of dolphins somewhere. I figured it out where they. Uh, swim in a circle and flap their tails and yeah. so the sand sort of forms a wall and yeah. the fish in the middle try and jump out of the wall of sand and then they just the dolphins just sit outside the perimeter of this like circle they've made with their mouths open yeah. and these fish just, just fly right to their in mouths and they yeah. don't even have to do anything no they and don't and the really smart dolphins set up these uh, aquatic timeshares that, <laughs> that, that, that fish buy at a very low interest it's rate it's just smart subprime yeah and then uh, when they get inside for their vacation then the dolphins <laughs> the, it's actually the dolphins mouths are the condos I actually, yeah. I actually know a dolphin who's not using his timeshare this month so yeah, you, you guys, guys want to go, go? <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> they have like great like uh, retirement accounts and stuff. It's just I, I, smart. I think, I think I just used that metaphor because Chloe and I just watched this movie called The Queen of Versailles. Yeah, oh, is that, that good? Yeah, it's great. It's, I loved it. It's really interesting and also uh, fucking. It's still on Netflix. That's it's right. on Netflix. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's it's sad and weird. Uh, I want to see it because it, apparently it starts off with them being like super affluent and then you see them lose money. Yeah, because their whole thing is built around timeshares and, and basically like subprime loans and and uh, and, and when, the, when the banking crisis happened, like that just basically ripped the rug out from under their yeah. This guy had that. That was one of the things I watched in over Christmas break when I was sick and just stayed home for 10 days by myself. I just watched everything I could on the housing crisis. It seems immensely by, by, the, by the way, I mean, they don't, you know, to say that the rug got ripped out from underneath him. I think that he basically went from being like a, a, a very high hundred millionaire or billionaire to like having millions of dollars. I, I don't sure. think he's, you know, I don't think they're hurting for money. It's just that they started trying to, because they had all the money in the world, try to build a replica of Versailles in Orlando for like a, like a, <laughs> like a, like, like a basically a 75 That's million. That's all the things a, a seventy-five million dollar home that never got finished because yeah, it was to be the largest home in the United States. Oh, this sounds so satisfying. It, it it is pretty satisfying. Oh, I think what's interesting about it too, I think, is less. I think it's for me, it's more the relationship between the uh, the, the husband, husband and, and the wife. wife. Yeah, and like when she goes back, she goes back to visit like the town she's from. Is she from money? No, no, oh. no, 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 no. And That's... she seems so sweet and so like she she genuinely seems like a sweet person who also happens to look like a trophy wife. Oh, that's amazing. Know? I saw this documentary. Have you seen Kumare? Do you know that one? No. 
It's really it's this guy who's of Indian descent, but he's like from Jersey. You know? I thought he's, that's who hosted Meltdown. He's American. Kamari. <laughs> Kamari Nanjiare. <laughs> uh, and Judah. Judah Frey. And he's this guy who grew up with like a lot of like Hindu religion and like Eastern, you know, religion and uh shed it was like this is all bullshit. All these gurus are hucksters, they're scam artists, they're just preying on people. So what he you, all these yogis and stuff. So what he did was he's, you know, basically atheist and stuff. He decided to grow out his hair, grow out his beard. And make up a religion and sort of te- pretend like he's from India, speaking like a thick Indian accent, and see if he could actually get people to follow him on this completely made-up oh, yoga sure did. and completely made-up religion. And it's so interesting to see, like, it doesn't matter what the religion is. People just want to feel, like, connected. To something. And that there is something out there, that there is some way to control their lives, you know? And it was so... It's it's really really. Cool. It couldn't be any weirder than some religions, like it. You know, oh, no. that, that some guy just some? made up. At some you mean religion. all? <laughs> I mean, if you yeah, exactly. Like you think of we we all rip on Scientology because it's like crazy. But the only crazy thing about it really is that it's not as old as some of the other ones. I love that Sarah Silverman used to have the same have a joke that uh, used to fucking I fucking love this joke where she was like. Yeah, I, I don't think I could follow a religion where the the leader just lived in an apartment at all one right. point in his exactly. life. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. He had like cable or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you can't yeah. Follow just, that guy. <laughs> it's the same thing with Mormonism, you know. You because you it happened in America. That's how recent it is. Yeah. So it doesn't feel legit. But then you go back thousands of years and you're like, all right, yeah, there was a different time. There were bushes on fire talking to people. That's just what happened. And then interesting to I mean, if you really went went through and did uh, 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 a really careful study of all the religions that just didn't survive that sort of like that went that went extinct yeah to see like oh what got borrowed from oh, what and that what is evolved and what you know like when you see yeah. like when you see uh you know is the uh the the the, the, the parallels between the 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 christian story and oh yeah and the uh um uh what is the religion the what is the story do you the joseph campbell's yeah, well, it's the um, oh, I gotta look it up now. Well, I think I, I remember taking like a philosophy class in college in the beginning and hearing like stories. Oh, Mithraism. That, what is that? Mithraism. It was just the the. the you sure, you're gonna think of Mothraism. No, I'm not thinking. Rises that, up from the sea and then he's Godzilla the, fights. Sometimes he's good. Religion. Sometimes yeah. he's bad. How could a moth rise up from the sea? Oh, that's a good point. Uh, that's how religions happen. Yeah, it's Just believe Mothism. that it did. <laughs> we, all you need to do is buy into this. Um, I mean, it's uh, Zoroastrianism. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's sort of a religion that's pretty small. Now that was big, like Iran, Persia and stuff. That was all Zoroastrianism. But, I think, but if you look at the origin stories, they're, they're very, very similar. They're, they're very sort of they're similar. Well, because we all sort of basically like the same Maybe story. Maybe Catholicism needs to hire J.J. Abrams to reboot it. <laughs> <laughs> New timeline. New origin story. New timeline. I don't think that's... So there'd be too much lens flare in it. But overall, I think it'd be good. Right. I think it would help. Listen, guys, Catholicism has gotten mired. You know, there's so much going on. This is clean. Jesus is a young rogue who all the elders are like, you could, you could really be something if you would follow the rules. Yeah, I don't want to do what my dad wanted me to do. <laughs> we'll split the timeline. And for some reason, at the beginning, Jesus is driving a Corvette. Yeah, listening to, <laughs> listening Beastie, Boys. to Beastie Boys for no reason. Uh, but I think, yeah, I mean, all the stories that we really like are stories. We don't like to see stories of rich guys doing well. We want to see stories of, like, poor guys becoming rich or rich people becoming poor and then figuring out the thing. Like, So all the religions have the same stories that we obviously uh, g- gravitate towards, you know, sure. all these aspirational good stories. And that's what 
every religion is the same stories over and over. And I think watching this documentary made me realize like the, the purpose that religion has for a lot of people. I mean, obviously bad stuff can come from it. You know, people fight and draw lines, but the the peace of mind that it can give people uh, can be a very very powerful and positive. Well, thing. the connection to community and also oh, the yeah. and also it it you know for for, for some people that I think it is that that kind of gateway into spirituality. Yeah. Which, eh, I mean, I, personally, I don't think you need religion for that, but that's just my opinion. I, sure. Some, some people do, you know, like, and, that, and that, I'm the same way with AA. It's like, well, I quit drinking. I don't really feel like I need that specifically, but I know it's very important to a lot of people, so great. Of great, course. Perfect. Uh, but, I remember, like, being a kid and going to these religious, like, services and feeling there were, like, hundreds of people there and feeling such a sense of power, like, we all believe in the same thing, you know? Sure. And I think that's a, that, that, that's a very positive thing, like, we having had to a community. Evolve. Like, I think that, 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 that kind of, I mean, how do we come together as a culture and be civilized if we don't? think that there might be something beyond you know like when you look at sort of evolution of people yeah if they don't feel like oh if i do this something bad is going to happen later on then what really keeps them in check from just fucking murdering everyone i think i mean they all come down to you know rules that you need to have a society survive and i think we're now at the point like i got into argument about you know when jason collins the basketball player came out and I was saying, uh, people, you know that guy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, this basketball player last week came out, and he's the first. How do you not know that? I don't know. He's. I, I mean, it wouldn't have meant anything to me if I saw it on the Google news page. I just wouldn't have. If it right. was a sports so he's thing, the first, I would have. He's the first active player in a professional league of okay. any sort to come out of the closet. Oh, as a team gay. sport. Yeah. I don't have sports so on he's my the home. first active player to announce. Yes, I am gay. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah, but there's awesome. this ESPN analyst, uh, his name's Chris Broussard, who they asked, what do you think? And he was like, I think it's a sin against God, and he's walking oh, in a uh, violation of God. So I said, you know, I sort of ripped on Chris Broussard on Twitter, and people were like, those are just his beliefs. But I don't think those beliefs are valid anymore. I think being against gay marriage is an invalid belief now, and I genuinely, I, and I genuinely think that. And I don't. It's like if if I say, "Oh, interracial marriage is bad," there was a time where there was a valid belief. It's not valid anymore. I think it's the same with. Also, Chris Bouchard, just tell me what it means in the NBA, not in your fucking religion. Yeah, what does it mean? To You're the on NBA? ESPN. Yeah, why are you doing that? And yeah. the people are like, "Oh, that's what we asked him, and that's what." He, are the Wizards going to resign him? Let me know. Otherwise, shut the fuck Probably up. Probably not. He's not very good at basketball. Listen, he's a veteran, though. He's a veteran, good it clubhouse sucks. presence. Can I tell you something that I think is probably, there's even a more disgusting reason behind why he said that? The Celtics traded him? <laughs> no, no, no. Listen, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, there's probably a more disgusting reason by, by why that guy said that yeah. against the player is because he thought it would get media attention. And no. because he knew that you don't think he said that to get attention? No. He seemed very angry. Yeah. He seemed very angry. I don't know. I I just feel like that's not. I don't think it's. I I don't. I don't think if you're if you're in a belief system that tells you to condemn other people for something, maybe it's. I don't. Chris Broussard strikes me as the type of guy who would never uh, own a pink tie. Yeah, he seems very yeah. very. I think for me, I was thinking about this because a lot of uh, how to have morality without religion, and the only rule you really need is you don't step on other people's valid beliefs and rights. And that's all you really need. So you but, can do but, whatever but you want. That, but, but within that, denying this guy the right to be openly gay is not a valid That belief. doesn't mean that because him getting married to another guy is not really doing anything to you. Right. That's what makes it 
an invalid belief. If I'm telling someone to not do something that doesn't really affect me, then that's not a valid belief. If he, you know, comes and steals your stuff, well, that's wrong because he's infringing on your, uh, uh, you know, rights as a person. And, not just to be some sanctimonious cunt who's yeah. like, those people over there, yeah. way over there, shouldn't be allowed to do that thing. Of like, course. What do you... And I think that's why, like, that's the bad, bad part of religion is, you know, defining yourself by what you're not. And then what you're not is bad and wrong. And the and bummer thing is, is that, and, and then I feel bad for friends of mine who are, who are good Christian people. Oh, yeah. That where shit like that happens and then they must feel like god damn it now everyone's gonna think that's what the whole thing for us is Dude, about and it's not think of someone as a muslim and all the shit that's going on and being like what the fuck are you guys doing yeah stop it it's a very very vocal minority of muslims that are doing the bad stuff but it's sort of that's like the only um vision of islam that people have in america because that's the only only time you see about islam is when something bad happens well and because people uh whether because we're inundated with too much information to process or because we're lazy uh or whatever but in general people only have uh one image to put in their head for everything so rather than go oh well this is probably just one small group of people, and but if I got to know everyone individually, I would see that the millions and millions of people do not are not like that. Like that requires more energy than most people are willing, yeah. unfortunately, to it's put also forth. Part of you know, you can be. Uh, it's part of our the way we look at like Christians. You can be a Catholic person who's sort of a fallen Catholic or doesn't really go to church anymore. Still, kind of believes that exists. Even with Jewish people, you can have a cultural Jewish person who's not a religious Jewish person. There's no conception of a Muslim in America who is uh, a, a, a tolerant, um, uh, not like hardcore Muslim. The only vision we have of Muslim here is someone who's like very, very fucking Muslim, you know. And I think once that changes, once there's a bit of a reformation and we start seeing Muslims as also people who don't have to be as hardcore, I, I, I think, you know, that'll sort of, you know. I think that'll be beneficial. But I think part of the problem with that holds Islam back is most of the countries, anything, any criticism of Islam is considered blasphemy and is punishable by death in most Muslim countries. So that you can't have different interpretations of the Quran because you could take that to say, well, you're saying what you're saying about the Quran is wrong and bad and you're misinterpreting it so you can be put to death. And so I think these external rules have really held Islam back. A lot of religions are evolving, but it's harder for Islam to evolve because of that. Well, uh, this took a really fun turn. <laughs> it really did. We were, we were talking about Bioshock and Skyrim in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I, and I think, well, Bioshock, you know, that works in Bioshock, too. Bioshock is a lot about belief systems. Oh, and, totally. Yeah. Oh, t- absolutely. Yeah. That's why conservatives hate Bioshock. Do they? Yeah. They, oh, oh, right, of course, yeah. because of the whole yeah. Father Comstock thing. I mean, it says something that cons- there aren't that many conservatives who are doing, like, great art, you know. <laughs> all their stuff is like all the conservative comedians are terrible and the hyper liberal ones are really good and like very successful well i don't that i i, I don't know you know i just never think about anyone I, i'm so i'm so not a political a politically minded person that i don't really think about people's politics when i see them I, there, there might be people who are closet conservatives that are afraid to and i'm not saying i'm not saying i'm one of them i'm just saying uh, it, it, there might be people who are like conservative that don't want people to know because they're afraid yeah, that I they think might be judged, that they're actually good comedians. I don't know. There, might be politically listen, there will always be one conservative who's okay in my book. His name is Kelsey Grammer. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> I think socially conservative is like politically conservative is fine because you know, uh, but socially conservative, if you're against like gay marriage, right, or right, all right, of that, right, like, right. I mean, I, I feel yeah. like that's getting to the point where being against gay marriage is becoming an indefensible. I mean, that's, that's different than uh, this is the this is the size of government and their role in humanity exactly. versus like. Those people shouldn't have these rights. Like yeah. those are, I feel, I, I separate those. Yeah. But I like that you tied it around with Frasier at the end. Yeah, of course. You know, we should have you do because you were the you were the Frasier of your family. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You, uh, hey, uh, Katie, wait, someone pull up the lyrics to the Frasier theme, <laughs> and we'll <laughs> you just don't have, need to pull them up. He's got them in his head. Maybe I hear the news of Colin. Toss salad, salad and, and scrambled, scrambled eggs. Okay, so so just so, so give Kumail the lyric. Uh, I want to give Camille the lyrics. They're calling again. Wait, here we go. It's about his Frasier. What is it about? What is the song about? The song is a vague. It's a vague reference to his life as a radio uh, psychologist. They didn't want it to be specific. Why is what is tossed salad and scrambled eggs signify? It's the mixed up crazy people that are calling. Oh, them, scrambled that are, eggs. That are calling again. They're calling again. Yeah. Okay, here we go. I got the lyrics for yeah. you, and then you can just sing them however you remember the tune. I'm a really bad. He's le- well, he's less the Frasier. He's more the Daphne. You know, he's the person with the accent. Yeah, but she doesn't. She doesn't have a theme song. Okay, I'm oh, terrible hey, at singing. Sing the theme song. Would you c- help me? Hey, baby, I hear Where, the blues calling. Why don't we get the music in? too? No, no, Plus, don't get the music. Just let him sing it. Oh. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salad and scrambled eggs. Oh my. <laughs> Mercy. Mercy. <laughs> and maybe, maybe I seem a bit confused. Well, yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salad and scrambled eggs. Wait. They're, They're calling again. again. Good night, Seattle. I love you. <laughs> That's a great song. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Delightful. Uh, and it's a fun show. Burritos with scrambled eggs. I don't know why we haven't had anybody on this podcast from Frasier. Enjoy them. Get any of them. Looking over here, maybe for David Hyde Pierce. Or Eddie? Moose is past. Oh. You knew his real name. Yeah. I just knew Moose. the character's name. Moose is the name of the dog. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Murder on My Mind, a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus, explores the circumstances leading up to the murder of two young men and the mistrials of the man accused of killing them. Up-and-coming rapper YNW Melly gained notoriety in the hip-hop world for his shocking lyrics and criminal exploits. When two of his best friends were gunned down in a drive-by shooting, investigators suspected the young rapper staged the scene. But after not one, but two trials that ended in hung juries and new evidence that may place YNW Melly at the scene of the crime, his trial has been paused indefinitely. With countless twists and turns, Law and Crime covers all angles of the case and begs the question, is this young artist the victim of a witch hunt or a silver-tongued devil who's evil to the core? Listen to Murder on My Mind exclusively and ad-free on Wondery+. Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.